Welcome to the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, helping you conquer the chaos in your life. Your host is licensed marriage and family therapist, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Dr. Colleen has been doing what she does for almost two decades. She's a private practice owner, a chaostician, a magazine columnist, a best-selling author, and her work or writing has been featured on countless websites including Fortune, Martha Stewart Weddings, Psych Central, The New York Post, Success, and many more. Listen in as she brings you experts in the psychology of life. They may be New York Times bestsellers, key players in their profession, or people who have overcome tremendous obstacles in life and are here to share their story to help you live your best life. Let's get to it. Stay tuned for our next Chaos Crushing guest. Here is your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Episode 2 of the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, bringing you what you need to succeed. I'm your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen, and I'm here to bring you resources to enhance your life. I think today's topic is pretty universal. For me, it's very close to my heart, both personally and professionally. I've watched so many lives be affected by it. It's addiction, and I would venture to guess that you've been affected by it too. If it's not you personally, maybe it's a parent or a sibling, maybe it's a grandparent, or maybe you've had a friend that was addicted, or maybe you've dated someone or even married someone with a substance abuse problem. Maybe the problem is going on right now and you've been wondering how to get help for yourself or someone you care for. You know how I know it touches so many of us? Because addiction doesn't discriminate. The risk factors are the same no matter what your income or where you live. High stress, family history of addiction, lack of social support, low resiliency, meaning that the person doesn't bounce back easily from emotional upheavals, and lack of coping mechanisms. Most people have heard the term self-medicating. That's lack of coping mechanisms. My own life has been touched by addiction to my family and friends over the years. I've had people dear to me in my life who've been subjected to the torture that is addiction. But today, I've got a great guest. He's going to provide several options for help for substance abuse problems. I'm talking with Dr. Harry Heratunian. He is the physician director of the Betty Ford Center in Rancho Mirage, California. The Betty Ford Center has so many ways to help addicts and their families, not only here in California, but now across the country. Before we get into my interview with Dr. Harry, I want to bring you some information on the prevalence of this problem. We hear all the time about stories of celebrity drug deaths and problems in the news. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Corey Monteith, Amy Winehouse, Heath Ledger all come to mind as tragic losses in recent years in the entertainment industry. And then there's the story of the rehab rebounding celebrities like Lindsay Lohan. Don't be fooled, though. These stories, although they get a ton of publicity for who these people are, are not unlike the stories of substance-caused deaths and problems in our own communities. The quest for sobriety often takes multiple attempts at treatment until the person applies what they learn and takes the steps necessary to change pretty much every aspect of their lives permanently. On the day I was preparing this, these were some of the stories from the first page of Google under overdose in the news. 11 people overdosed on a synthetic drug called Bizarro in the Washington, D.C. area. They didn't die, but they needed hospital treatment for their symptoms. Six people on a party boat in Queensland, Australia, overdosed on a party drug called Liquid Fantasy. Sounded like it was a date rape type drug. 
there was a report that two people were in critical condition and others had symptoms of paralysis and needed hospital treatment. And then there was the story of the teen daughter of a prominent real estate vacation company who was found dead of a drug overdose. This was just on a random Sunday in June. So we hear all about drug deaths, but alcohol kills as well. The Center for Disease Control reports that six people die of alcohol poisoning in the U.S. each day. They found that even though the stereotype of the binge drinker is still the young college student, the largest population dying of alcohol poisoning are white men ages 35 to 64. These men account for 76% of the deaths. Then, of course, we have people who drink themselves to death, literally. Many of them have tried to get sober over the years and have not been able to get it. And then we have the horrific numbers of people killed in auto accidents while under the influence of drugs or alcohol. Our country suffers a great cost in our healthcare system due to substance addictions. The most recent report on cost to our country in healthcare from NIDA, the National Institute on Drug Abuse, is that alcohol problems cost us $25 billion and illicit drug use problems cost us $11 billion in healthcare costs each year. But that's nothing compared to tobacco. Tobacco use costs us $130 billion. Get this, cigarettes are the only thing on earth that if we use them exactly as they are designed to be used and ingested, they will kill us. Yet, cigarettes continue to get used and cost us that crazy $130 billion a year in healthcare costs. Right after a short break, we'll get into my interview with Dr. Harry Haratunian, known by all of his patients as Dr. Harry. He's an internationally known speaker on topics of the addiction field. He has developed the Recovery 101 lecture series on topics of addiction medicine, recovery issues, communication skills, and relapse prevention. He is a regular contributor to the series devoted to families of individuals with addiction called Ask Dr. Harry. As the physician director of the Betty Ford Center, he participates in the development of programs and oversees the care of the clients. He's also the author of the book, Being Sober, a step-by-step guide to getting to, getting through, and living in recovery. The foreword to his book was written by Steven Tyler of Aerosmith, who credits Dr. Harry with his support and guidance in helping him get sober. I mention this because even though Dr. Harry may treat rock stars and anyone else seeking treatment, he is a true rock star of addiction medicine. And as someone who has worked in the field of addiction treatment for many years, it was truly an honor and a privilege to interview him. We'll be right back with that interview. You're listening to Coaching Through Chaos, your host, Dr. Colleen Muller, bringing you what you need to succeed. Welcome back. I'm here with Dr. Harry of the Betty Ford Center. Although the Betty Ford Center treats all sorts of addictions, and we'll hear about what they have to offer as the interview progresses, I thought we'd open with a question about the incidence of pain management and addiction. Dr. Harry, pain management and addiction feels like it goes hand in hand these days. Can you tell us about what you have seen as to why this may be happening? Well, sure. Um... We live in a culture that demands immediate relief of any discomfort, and the United States is probably using about 90 to 95% of all the world's pain management medications. So that tells you a little bit of that, about what is uh, going on. 
because pain is all over the world. Not everybody demands to treat it the same way. These are incredibly powerful drugs, and in the hand of the um, less than knowledgeable prescriber, far too many are used in situations that could be treated with far less dangerous medications. I run into young kids uh, who are addicted to these pain medications at the age of 16, 17, 18, who tell me that their first exposure was a, a broken arm at the age of 12, 13, 14. They got on these medications. They kept taking them long after they needed them when ibuprofen, aspirin, or Tylenol would have been more than sufficient to help them with their discomfort. They build a rapid tolerance. They use them. They get high on them. They have these uh, websites where they can obtain them without a doctor's order. They find them in grandma's medicine cabinet. They trade them with friends. They buy them on the street, or they just are prescribed them unconscionably by one or multiple practitioners. And that's when, you know, the magic formula of availability and addictive genes takes over and they're gone. Yes. If they are using these drugs and they're extremely expensive to use, um, many of them will find cheaper and more readily available alternatives that don't require a prescription, like heroin, which is strong enough now to be used in other forms than injection. You can smoke it and you can inhale it. And so, you know, without the needle taboo, that also has become available. And hence, we have this incredible opiate crisis throughout the country. Yes. Yes. My experience with pain management clients has been that the clients believe that the drugs are actually helping manage their pain. But what I've seen is that once they actually get off the pain pills that they're addicted to and get on the flip side of the withdrawals from all of that, their pain actually looks much less than they ever expected. Um, is that something that you're seeing go on? Yeah, that's very true. It's a well-known phenomenon. It's called opiate-induced hyperalgesia, where the opiates themselves reset pain receptors so that pain is somewhat intensified. The opiates actually are, are facilitating or causing more pain, and it is remarkable um, what happens when those medications are tapered and discontinued for these people. They are amazed at how much their pain decreases when they're not in that vicious cycle. Right. And, and from what I've seen, too, it really doesn't even take all that long once they get through the withdrawals and they're on the other side of, of getting off of those medicines. It's kind of, I've seen it happen within a couple of weeks. They're kind of amazed at what their body feels like in, in relation to what they thought it would feel like when they were off the meds. That's true. And the, the magic here, the trick, is to give them non-opiate alternatives to deal with their pain. Acupuncture, acupressure, mindfulness exercises, qigong, yoga, uh, meditation. Many, many other alternatives are available uh, that are non-addictive, and non-addictive medications can be used, too. Yes, and all those items that you were just talking about, that is pretty much what the model is for the Betty Ford's pain management program, is it not? Where you that use, is correct. Yeah, yeah Kijong, mindfulness, the non-addictive pain meds. Um, very good. So um, 
So much of the world of recovery is based now in abstinence only in 12-step model. You know, I've been working in addictions not quite as long as you have, but for a while. And um, it seems that as time goes on, though, the view in the professional field is becoming more open to the idea of medication-assisted model. Can you tell us a little bit about how the medication-assisted model may benefit addicts that have been struggling with the abstinence-only models? Well, this is a, a real um, hot potato in the industry and, and I think uh, filled with a lot of misinformation and has been widely discredited by uh, many, many people. You know, this is not anything new. We've been using medication assistance um, for detoxification for as long as I've been practicing medicine, which is nearly 40 years. Um, and certainly much longer than that. Medications have been used to ease the pain of withdrawal and withdrawal management or detoxification to help with all of the difficult symptoms that during withdrawal will often lead someone back to their drug of choice. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing new about medication-assisted treatment early in recovery. What many people are talking about is medication-assisted treatment that gets closer to the possibility of maintaining one's recovery with medication. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there are programs now that assist those very difficult opiate addicts in particular who have been treated two or three times, mm-hmm. who have lost their tolerance to these medications, who are at enormous risk of overdosing from their um, medications in relapse, yes. there has to be a strategy. If your kid or my kid came home after his third treatment and you were worried that, you know, the next time they're going to be found dead, you know, in desperation, we tried just about anything. And what we're finding is that some of the medications used to treat opiate dependence now, like Suboxone, mm-hmm. Not used forever, not as a substitute for long-term abstinence, but with abstinence of the goal, simply need to be prolonged a little longer, sometimes two, three months, sometimes six months. And in some cases, um, people uh, are advocates for a year to 18 months. I don't go over any of that myself. I don't like to see long-term management. When opiate addicts, particularly heroin addicts, relapse, they go out and their risk of overdosing and dying is so much higher because they'll go back out and use something like four times what what a starting out heroin user would use. So because they're used to using that amount that's when right. and, right. and it becomes just so much more deadly and that's why we see these these big stories and 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 we're losing someone to an opiate overdose every 19 minutes oh it's a horrible in this country statistic. um i had the um i had the uh awesome opportunity to meet a group of mothers the name of their group is solace s-o-l-a C-E. Okay. And very sadly, this group of a hundred or so mothers uh, are, are a group of mothers who have lost their children to overdose oh. and have gotten together to do the grief work and the you know, mutual support that uh, only these people can um, in sharing the pain and suffering that they've shared mm-hmm. um, um, together. 
It is amazing to me, but when you think about it, some of these mothers have tried to get into grief groups where parents have lost their children Mm -hmm. to leukemia or to an automobile accident or something other than what is perceived as self-induced destruction with an overdose, Mm -hmm. and they've been rejected. They've been treated you know, as um, outsiders. Um, So they needed to find their own place and their own voice. And many, many of these organizations and and some of the more vocal mothers have uh, created films and materials to educate the public about this crisis and how it's affecting our young people. It's absolutely catastrophic. Yes. So in that war, all weapons are needed and if medication assisted treatment is going to mean the list you know the difference between life and death i'm not going to take the hard stance of stamping my foot and saying that there's only one way to go i am going to insist that the goal is abstinence but it may take a little longer to get there in some cases mm-hmm. yeah i think it's a great um as you said it's been happening for longer than 40 years for detox but i think it's a great progression in the field that this is going on and giving that option to people because it really is we're talking about it is life-saving for them mm-hmm. you're listening to coaching through chaos your host dr colleen mullen bringing you what you need to succeed Hazelton Betty Ford has a program specific for professionals. You know, among their different programs, they have one specific for professionals. Can you tell us what that is? Like who is considered a professional and how it's tailored to meet their specific needs? Well, we have we have two professional programs. One is for licensed healthcare professionals in safety sensitive positions. Oh. Okay. And the other is for other professionals. Other professionals may mean Airline pilots, lawyers, CEOs, entertainers, business owners, teachers, um, um, and people in who are not necessarily licensed, um, although pilots certainly would be and attorneys would be licensed, but that's mm-hmm. not a necessary requirement. The main thing is that these are people who have great success. They are substance abusing high achievers oftentimes thinking of themselves as a bit entitled and special and not necessarily make themselves in, making themselves available to the humdrum, run-of-the-mill, um, mm-hmm. humble kind of treatment that is presented in the 12-step programs, which is exactly what they need. <laughs> Those ego-driven and success-driven characteristics are identified breaking through the malignant denial that this group can have. Many of them have had support systems through business associates, uh, colleagues that have kind of kept them away from treatment for quite some time. So oftentimes their cases are far more advanced than one might expect. And uh, they need to be treated um, uh, with everyone else, but they do have specialty groups where they're treated together where absolute rigorous honesty is able to come forth in a environment of 
rigorous confidentiality. Mm-hmm. Right. I would I would suspect that that above anything else is some of the concerns that prevented them from getting into help in the first place. That's right. That's right. And then we are a- able to identify um, uh, who you are, not what you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of these people are workaholics. Um, many of these people have dangers waiting for them in their job description and in their workplace when they leave treatment that we have to identify. So their fitness for duty, their return to work is evaluated, and we try to make a plan that's healthy and successful um, upon their discharge. Also, the component of long-term monitoring and accountability of these patients is very, very important. Pilots and physicians have the best track records with the disease of addiction because they're required to treat it longer and they're required to monitor longer, being accountable to an agency that watches their program, checks their body fluids for relapse, makes sure they're seeing their therapist, going to 12-step meetings, speaking to a sponsor. They just can't get away with slacking up on their program. They'll be back in treatment in no time. So, you know, subjecting yourself to that accountability is critical. I think that's uh, a great thing that you pointed out, too, that the longer a person, and I wish everybody that was getting help knew this going in, that it's not about punishing them with a 30-day to a 90-day program. It's about staying connected to their program, where they got clean as long as possible for the best chance of not having to deal with relapsing. So I'm glad that you put out that when they have these people who have, you know, other people's lives at stake, it sounds like for this, uh, for the medical professionals, the pilots, that they are required to do these longer programs. And it'd be great to see like the culture of recovery when people somehow coming together so that when people went in, they understood this is a a long journey for them. This is not a quick fix to kind of patch them up and send them back out. So um, thanks for pointing that out. Is there uh, an addiction problem that seems to be trending in in what you're seeing in treatment? You know, I know that there's all sorts of things, as we know, there's an opiate epidemic going on, an opioid epidemic. But what are you seeing? Is that what we, you would see as the biggest problem? Yeah, we see, the, we see the, the, the 50% of our patients have alcohol as their primary drug of choice, and then uh, many of them have been treated by physicians with um, sleep medications and anti-anxiety medications and benzodiazepines that have created you know, a worsening of the problem. Um, There's an epidemic of attention deficit disorder. Far too many people are taking Ritalin and Adderall Mm -hmm. and stimulant drugs that get them into trouble. And then, of course, the designer drugs are always out there for the kids and for the not-so-kids, you know, at rave parties. And um, there's steroids and GHB bodybuilding drugs. Um, There are... Um, bath salts and there's spice and there's ketamine and and many of the others that are extremely dangerous um, and of course the odd oddities like sniffing and glue and those kinds of things are uh, few and far between in different socioeconomic communities but still out there mm-hmm. yeah so it kind of runs the gamut but fifty um, percent start with with the alcohol that kind of come in for treatment. Yeah, I mean, you know, well, opiates are a gateway drug for some people now. Mm -hmm. Um, The marijuana that we see that's uh, 
has been legalized. How about that for a mixed message for the kids? Right. You know, it's so strong that that can create dependence in, in really no time at all. Yeah, I think that's another misperception too. I've seen plenty of people come in that just can't get off marijuana. And they thought, and they come in saying, well, I didn't think that this was addictive, but I know that I can't stop smoking. Oh, yeah. With great consequence. Everybody knows what the Betty Ford Center is. You know, you're world famous, and now you've uh, merged with Hazelden. So it's the Hazelden Betty Ford Center. Can you tell us what all that it has to offer? I know there's so many different programs that I think most people don't even know are there. We have a clinical diagnostic evaluation, a three to five day outpatient or inpatient event or program that will diagnose the disease if it's present when people are in doubt about its diagnosis or disagreement about how serious someone's problem might be. That's a a wonderful offering. Mm -hmm. The entire price of that goes toward treatment if someone might require treatment. So it's a a, a pretty wonderful process. It involves a psychiatric evaluation, history, physical examination, psychological assessment, psychometric testing, body fluid, hair analysis, and a full forensic evaluation uh, of collateral information in someone's lives to see if the disease is present. Mm -hmm. Um, We have the detoxification programs and uh, inpatient treatment. We have residential treatment, day treatment. We have people who live in our um, sober living communities. Mm -hmm. We have uh, residential communities for our day treatment patients, and we have patients who live in their own homes and come to our day treatment patients. We have intensive outpatient both in Rancho Mirage and in uh, our West LA, Santa Monica region now, um, hopefully in San Diego in the near future. Yes, I hear. Um, we we have um, aftercare monitoring programs like our Connections program that will help support recovery through that critical first and second year when we really need to have people recover and get their brain healed. So that combined with the enormous power of Hazelden's publishing mm-hmm. uh, is unbelievable. We have the Center for Advocacy. We have renewal workshops and weekends for a very extensive and vibrant alumni group um, that we have throughout the organization. We have about 17 sites now throughout the country where the Hazel and Betty Ford services can be accessed. Of course, we have our pain management program, our world-famous family program, Mm -hmm. and the best children's program under Jerry Moe that we know um, here at the center. Soon we'll have our Boomers program up and operating for the older adults, and um, we also have our young adult program for um, people 18 to 26. In our Plymouth program in Minnesota, um, we take people from the age of um, 12 up, and I believe, or 13 up, and that's for the adolescent group. So it's uh, it just offers everything that there is available. This list just keeps going on and on. So it's just so comprehensive. And your yeah. diagnostic program, I don't think I've ever heard of anything like it in the country. So really just an amazing initial entry into figuring out, is somebody really an addict? Most importantly, I think, is the, is the professional program and the healthcare professional mm-hmm. program. Uh, the core 12 program for long-term 
solutions to the opiate epidemic is also one that's growing in great favor in many markets. But the professional program, which is here at the Betty Ford Center and marketed across the country, really has gained uh, tremendous favor and is having having great results with with our patients. Dr. Harry Haratunian, thank you so much for giving me this interview and being here on the Coaching Through Chaos podcast. It's been great to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Nice talking to you, Colleen. Okay. Hope to see you when I'm in San Diego. That would be great. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. There you have it, my interview with Dr. Harry Haratunian of the Betty Ford Center. He's a wealth of information regarding addiction, both the behaviors and mechanisms behind it and the treatment of them. Be sure to check out my article that goes along with this episode at priceofbusiness.com slash coaching through chaos. Most people with an addiction need help to support them on their journey to recovery. If you know someone that might need help, the Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation can be reached at 866-831-5700 or online at hazeldenbettyford.org. Now, if that's not what you're looking for, you can call 211 or go to 211.org for help in finding recovery resources in your community. Now, don't miss next week's episode. I'm interviewing retired detective Mike Proctor, who is one of the foremost authorities and authors on profiling and protecting yourself from stalkers. I'll also be telling my own personal story of being stalked, so be sure to catch that one. In the next few weeks, I've got best-selling author Melanie Notgin, the Foundry Cup organization, Jeff Motsky, financial expert, and codependency author Darlene Lancer. Remember, this is the place to come for all sorts of resources to enhance your life. If you want to follow me between episodes, you can sign up for my mailing list at coachingthroughchaos.com slash podcast, or you can find me on Twitter with the handle at Dr. Colleen Mullen and on Facebook at Coaching Through Chaos. I do hope you're having a great week. And if you've got chaos in your life, I hope you're finding your way through it. Take care. Take care.